Blog Talk Radio. Romans 2 and 5. Nope. The righteous judgment of the Most High, who will yep. render unto every man according to his nope. deeds, to them who by patience continue in some well doing seek nope. for glory and honor and immorality, yep. eternal life. But unto them that are nope. contentious and do not obey the yep. truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. You an African American? Nope. You believe that's your heritage? Yep. Do you know who you are? Nope. King, queen? Yep. Nigga with back? Nope. Do you shine like a star? Yep. Think they gon' tell you? Nope. We gon' expose them. Yep. Yeah. They gon' take your life? Nope. So many secrets in the vault? Yep. Do this knowledge cost? Nope. Hop in the book to my? Yep. Do you follow these laws? Nope. Do they still exist? Yep. Have time to wait?
you got to choose one, who you gonna choose the most? I heard theater, two sides to choose from. You got to choose one, who you gonna choose? Who you gonna choose? Got to choose. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Good morning. Bible Kratzawab, which means good morning in the ancient federal Hebrew. And welcome to another edition of Sword of Truth Presents Bible Talk, sponsored by ISBHPK. I am your host for this morning, as always, your brother, your friend, Tazapai. And welcome, y'all. Welcome, welcome. I know it's been a minute. I apologize. Um, man, things have been nuts um, here in SA, man, in San Antonio. Um, half of the camp got the cocoa, man, and um, going through it. We have a couple of uh, sisters and brothers that are healing. Um, I got hit directly uh, at, here at the crib with. 2.5 members of my household uh, coming down with the cocoa, uh, including my youngest man, my baby girl. She's special needs, so <clears throat> that really hit hard. Uh, but she is good, man. She is recovering. She is recovering her mother as well, and my B.I. Or making full recoveries, man. Brachadaya, how about Blessed be the Most High. Blessed be Christ. Uh, for shining on us, man, um, and for shining on all the brothers and the sisters that are, are recovering also here in SA. I want to ask everybody to send prayers up, man, for the sister. I hope I'm saying her name right, uh, Tiara. Please, please send prayers up for the sister, man. She is still in the hospital, and she's battling, y'all. So please, man, send prayers up for uh, for her to recover, um, come back to good health. The Most High may have mercy on her. Please, y'all, do that. Um, uh, let me just go ahead and get into this, man. I want to send shots out to, uh, before I get started, man, to all the camp here in San Antonio, uh, to the camp down in Guatemala. Uh, the brothers and sisters in H-Town and uh, VA, Rochester, and uh, ABQ, man, the Kirk. In fact, uh, should be headed out there, man, I believe uh, next week sometime. Should be out there with the brothers. I want to send, out, send shout out to uh, Mashaba the Water Ox for hooking up the broadcast. Uh, and... Am I forgetting anybody, anything I need to announce? No, I think that's pretty much it. Hope everybody's healthy, man. Hope everybody's in good spirits. Uh, a lot of stuff's been going on. Uh, the title, man, of today's show is Babylon the Great. I will be like the most high. And uh, I'm going to get into it the next hour. And... I wanted to finish the class I started on dedication, and I am going to get to that. I still got that on deck. But uh, in light of recent events, man, I felt that this topic here was the most pressing. So I'm going to dig into that. 
I got a little bit of news, not much, just a little bit, because the topic that I'm going into uh, is pretty extensive, y'all. And it may be a part two to this, too. Uh, I'm not sure. It just depends on how much I'm able to uh, get in, man. So uh, let's start with Psalms 118 and verse 24. This is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, man. Good or bad, happy or sad, man. We are thanking the most high. All praises definitely due to him, man, because it is him that woke us up this morning. It's even allowing us to go through whatever it is that we're going through. But at least we're still here, man. At least we're still kicking, man. A lot of people didn't wake up this morning, y'all. We got to be mindful of that. Got to be mindful of that, and we got to appreciate that. Let me start real quick. All right, there we go. So, y'all know y'all been listening and uh, keeping up with the show, and uh, we greatly appreciate y'all support and y'all participation. In Blog Talk Radio, I'm going to ask you, like always, to tell a friend, to tell a friend, Tell a friend to please tune in to the Pod Tuesdays, to the Pod Sundays, to the Pod Tuesdays every Tuesday. Cool, man. So, this article right here, man, this is funny. This was funny as hell. So, this is the headline, man. I don't know if y'all aware of this. It says, Los Angeles woman faces federal charges after allegedly punching another passenger on Delta flight. So, like I said, I don't know if y'all aware of this, man, but there have been um, reports, I believe, in the hundreds, if not thousands, of airplane violence, man. People are losing their mind on airplanes. This one here, man, is hilarious. It's like a tragic comedy. It's exactly what it is. So, it says, a Los Angeles woman is facing a federal assault charge after allegedly hitting and spitting on another passenger on a December 23rd Delta flight from Tampa to Atlanta during the holiday season. Y'all, you know, people lose their damn mind around this time of year, man. It says, the incident, the incident occurred after the female passenger found the, the aisles from one of the bathrooms to her seat blocked by a beverage cart. The woman exchanged words with a male passenger, then hit him in the head with a closed fist, according to unsealed criminal complaint obtained by CNN. The man told an FBI agent the woman then spit on his face and head area, the court document says. Patricia Cornwall, 51, made her initial appearance Monday afternoon in federal court in Atlanta. She is accused of assaulting, I'm sorry, she is accused of assault by striking, beating, or wounding RSM in the special aircraft jurisdiction of the United States, the complaint says. And y'all, I believe this dude was in his 80s, too. Let me continue. It says uh, she was not required to and did not submit a plea in court during the initial appearance. If found, if found guilty of the Class A misdemeanor, Cornwall could face up to, to 
to one year in prison and up to a $100,000 fine. CNN has reached out to the U.S. Attorney's Office and Cornwall's Wall's, uh, attorney, uh, Miley Dunn, for a comment but did not immediately receive a response. Complaint says man described verbal and physical altercation. The criminal complaint says that the FBI task force offered interview. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me read it over y'all. The criminal complaint says that the FBI task officer interviewed the male passenger by phone and later watched a cell phone video of the incident. It corroborates the information that RSM, that's the guy she hit, provided. Additionally, the video shows Cornwall striking RSM in the face. Rude Guard Jarrett, an FBI task force officer based in Atlanta, says in the, comp- in the complaint, the man said Cornwall was returning from a restroom at the back of the Delta Flight 70, uh, I'm sorry, 2790, but a flight attendant conducted uh, conducting beverage services blocked the aisles, according to the, comp- uh, to the complaint. When Cornwall asked the flight attendant to help her find her seat, the flight attendant requested that she find an open seat until beverage services was completed. The, co- the complaint says, Cornwall responded to the flight attendant, what am I, Rosa Parks? <laughs> Listen to this. You can't make this up. The complaint says, the male passenger said he told Cornwall it was an inappropriate comment and that she isn't black. <laughs> this isn't Alabama, and this isn't a bus according to the complaint. <laughs> so he checked. <laughs> and this is Esau, Esau crowd. Y'all watch the video. The video is hilarious. It says the man did purportedly uh, per- Cornwall to sit down Karen. <laughs> he called her Karen, according to the complaint. <laughs> The court document says a verbal back and forth ensued before Cornwall allegedly hit RSM and caused a a visible head injury. Damn. So let me see. I wanted to see if they had the number of complaints, man. I don't see it. Now, mind you, too, y'all, that this weekend they had to cancel a lot of flights uh, because of coronavirus. Let me jump back. Hold on. Matter of fact, let me just play this video. Y'all got to hear this, man. This is funny. Check this out. Probably gonna be a commercial, y'all. So just bear with me. Uh, yeah, it's a commercial. You may kiss the bride. Oh my God! Happy to come. 
Here's a commercial, y'all. Hold on, it's almost over. Here we go. Lying has totally changed. Changed our policies. We are concerned just about safety. We're concerned about job security. My name is Allie Malice. I am an American Airlines flight attendant. I've been flying for six years. I'm Captain Annie Vivio. I'm commander on Boeing Triple Seven. I'm an airline pilot in Europe. Hold on, that ain't it, man. Come on now. Let me go back. Let me find it, y'all. Hold on for a second. This lady's clowning. Wait a minute, they may have took it down. Yeah, it looked like they took it down. Oh, well. All right, let me jump back. So... Here we go. So it says Biden grapples with a COVID-19 testing failure that could have been foreseen. See, and this is the thing that uh, gets me, man, with Esau. Let me just read the article. It says President Joe Biden and his team reportedly promised more COVID-19 testing, including home uh, home kits that deliver rapid results, but they are now admitting a virus that is more adaptable than the politicians who fight who fight it has outpaced them again. See, this is the thing, man. They always come up with um okay, prevention. You guys need to be vaccinated, yada yada, etc., right? But then amidst all of this they just won't come out and say, man, we really don't know what we're doing. We really don't know how this works. We really can't control it. Um, you can get vaccinated, but it may or may not help you. They just won't be honest. You know, and that's the thing that is bothering me the most about these people, but I'm not surprised because Esau, like the scripture says, man, he's a cunning hunter. He's very crafty. In the way he gets down, man. He's never honest. You know, uh, just like politicians, you can never get a straight answer from them, man. They're never honest. They always want to filibust you, rigmarole you, uh, and make you seem like they got all the answers when in reality they don't know nothing. So, um, it says, for many Americans, this holiday season may be remembered for hours spent in long testing lines or fruitlessly searching pharmacy shelves for antigen tests as Omicron variant took over the previous Delta wave, already patchy test testing. Listen to this. Already patchy testing has been exposed by the latest 
highly transmittable variant, and the U.S. is being compared unfavorably to other developed nations uh, where citizens have easily a- easy, easy access to rapid tests for free. So here we go, man, with faulty science, and then I topped on the article, and guess who pops up on the article but lying-ass Fauci. And these people, man, what's that Forrest Forrest Gump quote? Stupid is the stupid does. People stuck on stupid because they still listening to this fool, man. This dude has been lying and inaccurate about everything he said since the beginning of this. Let me jump down, man. So this says, uh, Omicron is a game changer for COVID-19 vaccines. Is this Fauci again? Let me play this one, man. With the relaunch of Milestone, DC Milestone, collaborating with allies, we want underrepresented people to work with us in comics, just like you guys are trying to do at Black Star Collectibles. Give me a second, y'all. This is a commercial. That's our goal, to inspire, as we get inspired, introduce those kids to all the church. And I know Mashaba usually put it out, posted it. If you have any questions, you can call in directly, speak directly to me, ask me your question. Here we go. Uh, why is the CDC now changing these uh, recommended uh, isolation times for people who test positive for the virus uh, but don't have symptoms? I guess, I guess the simple question is. And that's what I wanted to get to, too. They've changed the uh, quarantine period from 10 days to five days, y'all. This is such a global pandemic, and this is such such a state of emergency. But you're telling people now that you're going to reduce the quarantine time. I guess it's not that severe then. You see what I'm saying, y'all? It's just too inconsistent with the information that we get. Okay, uh, quarantine, don't quarantine. Wear the mask, do wear the mask. Get the vaccine. Oh, but you got to get 1,800 booster shots to uh, make the vaccine effective. Come on, man, stop. Wow. Well, the reason is that with the with the sheer volume of new cases that we are having and that we expect to continue with Omicron, one of the things we want to be careful of is that we don't have so many people out. I mean, obviously, if you have symptoms, you should not be out. But if you are asymptomatic and you are infected, we want to get people back to the jobs, particularly those with essential jobs, to keep our society running smoothly. So I think that was a very prudent and good choice on the part of the CDC, which we spent a considerable amount of time discussing, namely getting people back in half the time than they would have been out so that they can get back to the workplace doing things that are important to keep society running smoothly. Because that's that's the bottom line, man. They're not saying that. But come on, y'all. We can read between the lines, and like I said, they still listening to Fauci line as you know what he need. He need this. Two chops to the throat. That's what he need, y'all. 
two chops to the throat. Selling them down wolf tickets. Anyway, y'all, like I said, I didn't have much news today. Uh, so let me go ahead and jump into the class, man. Oh, let me get set up. I'm going to take y'all off speaker and put you in my ear. You know, and it's crazy because uh, the NHL has shut down several games. I know some uh, NCAA has shut down some uh, ball games and changed some stuff around. Uh, The NBA, NFL. Anyway, they're keeping it going. And then uh, a lot of flights was canceled, too, over this uh, so-called holiday season. And when I was seeing this, because it's conflicting, you know, you got certain people that they're taking precautions, and you got other people that ain't taking precautions because they had an interview with uh, the head of, I think it was United and uh, Southwest Airlines, and they were saying that you didn't have to wear a mask and uh, the flight uh, being in the air, the air some filter they got on the airplanes is supposed to be um, some type of add some type of protection against you contracting the virus, man. But they say that, and then you had other critics uh, bashing them for being irresponsible and whatnot. And it made me think of this. This is Matthew chapter twelve and verse twenty-five, and it says, "And Jesus knew their thoughts, and said unto them." Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand, man. And this is where we are right now, man. I hope everybody is seeing this and taking notes. And I I probably sound like a a broken record when I say this, man, but this kingdom is, oh, it's a wrap. I hope everybody can see the decline and the fall of America, man. They're against each other's throats. And we've seen it throughout uh, when Trump was in office. Now Biden is in office, and uh, it just keeps going on, but you're starting to see the, the collapse of this place. You know, we got front row seats to this, man, and I'm enjoying every second of it. But anyway, like I said, let me jump into this class. Uh, give me just a second. Get my notes in order, y'all. I want to start there. Let's go back. All right. So let's start in Isaiah chapter 14. Let's start in Isaiah chapter 14. And started, I just started one. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 1. It reads, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. Now, I want us to focus carefully on the terminology that's being used. When it says will, it means that this hasn't happened yet. This is something that's going to happen. It says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land This hasn't happened yet The Israelites collectively have not been set In their own land And remember he says set 
I mean, we have to travel somewhere, but by way of Yahweh Shai, it said the Most High was going to set us in our own land, not we ourselves are going or moving to these other lands. And I say this because I seen a post uh, on YouTube with a brother talking about get out of Babylon, had a backpack on or whatever, because you have certain Israelites that believe that we need to be leaving this place now. I'm not saying that you can and you shouldn't or whatever, but it's not mandatory, y'all. It's not. You don't read it in the scriptures. But anyway, let me get back to it. It says, uh, it says, and set them in their own land, and the strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. The strangers, meaning the other nations, they're going to be joined uh, with us, and it says, and they are going to cleave to us. Read on, verse 2. It says, the people shall take them, meaning us, going to take the other nations, and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. A lot of people don't like hearing this Isaiah chapter 14, man. The first two verses A lot of people have psychological issues Even listening to this Especially Edomites and other nations But this is going to happen These are facts This ain't something that I'm just making up Pulling out my behind These things are going to actually happen It's written in the Bible So reading on I'm going to get to my point It says uh, And it shall come to pass In the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow, talking about us, and from thy fear, and from the hard bondage wherein thou was made to serve. So the Most High is going to relieve us from our oppressors, from the hard bondage of this place. Reading on, verse 4, and this is the part I wanted to get to. It says, that thou shalt take up this proverb, Against the king of Babylon And say How has the oppressor ceased The golden city ceased Now in case you didn't know y'all There are actually three Babylons In the Bible The Babylon here in Isaiah the 14th chapter Is referring to America Which is also known as Babylon the Great Or Mystery Babylon now, I'm going to prove this, but let's walk through the steps. So let's get the first Babylon, y'all. Let's go to Genesis chapter 10. Because <clears throat> the Bible does say to prove all things, right? And we pride ourselves on proving the things that we say, man. So it's not just us talking and we just rambling off. We actually got some facts which gives validity. To the Bible man So we use various sources So uh, let me see Where we at Genesis chapter 10 And we're going to start at verse 8 y'all And if you're not familiar with this chapter It's also referred to as the table of nations This was after the flood And this is Noah's three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth Repopulating the earth And we're going to read verse 8 And Cush begat Nimrod he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, 
Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter, before the Lord. This the part I want to get to, verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Y'all see that? And uh, Erech, and Akkad, and Chani, in the land of Shinar. So this was ancient Babylon under Nimrod. I hope everybody is getting that. Now let's jump up to verse 6. In case you don't uh, know who Nimrod was or the lineage he came from. It says, And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Put, and and Canaan. Now, let me get my Zonavan. So, Nimrod came from the lineage of Ham, which was one of Noah's three sons that survived the flood with Noah. So now we got to find out who Ham is this day and age because every every race, every nation is in the Bible, y'all. I want us to understand that everybody's in the Bible, all nationality, all races. The Bible's not a fairy tale book So I'm going to go to the Zondervan Compact Bible Dictionary And this is the definition of Ham Now listen to this It says the youngest son of Noah Born probably about 96 years before the flood And one of eight persons to live through the flood He became the progenitor The word progenitor means father or originator Of the dark races so Ham was the father or the progenitor of the dark races, but listen to this, not the Negroes. See that? Not the Negroes, though, right? Who we loosely refer to as black, African-American, colors, or niggers. It says that this Hamite, this African, was not the progenitor of the Negroes, but the Egyptians. Ethiopians, Libyans, and Canaanites. Now, all these places I'm naming are, are in fact, in Africa. This is how we know that Ham or the Hamites are of the African race, so-called African race. It says, uh, matter of fact, that's it. But he was not the father of the so-called blacks in America or Afro-Americans or what have you. He was not. The progenitor of so they're no kin to us, all right. But once again, we're discussing the ancient Babylon first because there are three Babylons. We're still working on the first Babylon, all right, which is ancient Babylon. Now, let's go to Daniel chapter one. We're going to get the second Babylon Daniel chapter 1 y'all Let's go there I see y'all calling in too The water y'all for tuning in to the show Y'all got any questions man Please feel free Uh, But right now we're going to Daniel chapter 1 And verse 1 and once again, y'all, this title is Babylon the Great. I will be like the Most High. So we're in Daniel chapter 1, 
I'm going to read verse 1. And it says, In the third year of the reign of uh, Joachim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, this is the second Babylon, also known as Neo-Babylon or the New Babylon. This is not the ancient Babylon under Nimrod. This was under a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, all right? Now, let's let this go. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 27, still dealing with the second Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 27 We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Joachim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus said the Lord to me, Make thee bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck. So this is what the Most High told uh, Jeremiah to do. Verse 3. And send them to the king of Edom, and to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Amorites, and to the king of Tyrus, and to the king of Zidon, by, by the hand of the messengers which come to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, king of Judah. Okay, reading on. And command them to say unto their masters, Thus said the Lord of hosts, the power of Israel, Thus shall ye say unto your masters, I I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are upon the ground my, by, by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. This is the Most High saying, he gives the earth power, rulership, and authority to the person he chooses. Verse 6. And now have I given all these lands unto the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beast of the field have I given him also to serve. So the Most High gave Nebuchadnezzar, which was the king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, he gave him all these things. But once again, my point I'm bringing out is proving what the second Babylon is. So reading on verse 7, And all nations shall serve him and his son. And his son's sons until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, said the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence until I have consumed them. By his hand It was the most high Let all nations know That the Babylonian empire Was going to come in And take control of the known living earth At that particular time Becoming a world superpower Now the uh, The kingdom of Nimrod was also a superpower In fact the world's first superpower uh, Ancient Babylon Which is where Coincidentally We get well, not coincidentally, but this is where uh, all the pagan holidays originated from. It originated in Babylon. 
uh, Christmas being one of them, which a lot of ignorant people just celebrated here, uh, what, last week? Was it? Yeah, the weekend. Uh, and have the audacity to say that it has something to do with the birth of Yahweh Shah, Jesus Christ, when it had absolutely nothing to do with the birth of Christ. That has everything to do with the birth of Nimrod. And that story's been handed down from generation to generation. Matter of fact, let me, since I'm touching on that, let me get that out of this book here. I don't be going back and forth here. I got a lot of uh, sources to validate what I'm bringing out. But what I'm going to bring out now is talking about the pagan uh, holiday that was uh, instituted or started with Nimrod in ancient Babylon. Now, the name of this book is called The Two Babylons, y'all. The Two Babylons, the papal worship, uh, proved to be the worship of Nimrod and his wife. That's the title of the book. And this book is by uh, Reverend Alexander Hislop. So I'm going to go to page uh, 91. It says, uh, the first, as to the festival in honor of the birth of Christ or Christmas, how come it that that festival was connected with, uh, with the December, I'm sorry, with the 25th of December? There is not a word in the scriptures about the present day of his birth or the time of the year when he was born. What is recorded there implies that at what time soever his birth took place, it could not have been on the 25th of December. You see this, y'all? He's like, no way. Read it on. At the time that the angel announced his birth, to the shepherds of Bethlehem, they were feeding their flocks by night in the open fields. Now, no doubt, the climate of Palestine is not so severe as the climate of this country, but even there, through the heat of the day, be considerable, the cold of the night from December to February is very piercing, and it was not the custom for the shepherds of Judea to wash their flocks in the open fields later than about the end of October. It is in the last degree incredible then that the birth of Christ could have taken place at the end of December. I hope everybody's hearing this, man. This dude is like, hell no, that didn't happen. He wasn't born in December. Matter of fact, let me read a little bit more. It says, at the birth of Christ, every woman and child was to go to be taxed at the city whereto they belonged, whether some had long journeys, but the, the middle of winter was not fitting for such a business, especially for women with child and children to travel in. Therefore, Christ could not be born in the death of women. Again, at the time of Christ's birth, the shepherds lay abroad washing with their flocks in the nighttime, but this was not likely to be in the middle of the winter. And if any shall think the winter wind was not so extreme in these parts, let him remember the words of Christ in the gospel. Pray that your flight be not in winter. If the winter was so bad a time to flee in, it seems not Fit time for shepherds to lie in the field 
in uh, in and women and ch- and children to travel in. Indeed, it is admitted by the most learned and candid writers of all uh, parties that the day of the Lord's birth cannot be determined, and that within the Christian church, no such festival as Christmas ever heard of till the third century. I hope everybody's listening. Now, let me get, let me see if I can find what it talks about Nimrod. Mm. Mm. Oh, here it is right here. Okay, this is page 96 of the same book, y'all. It says, even where the sun was the favorite object of worship, as in Babylon itself and elsewhere, at the festivals, he was worshipped not merely as the orb of day, but as God incarnated. Man, I got to read up. Hold on, let me see. Let me keep reading. It says, it was an essential principle of the Babylonian system that the sun or bow was the one only God. When therefore Tammuz was worshipped as God incarnated, so Tammuz was worshipped as the reincarnation of the Most High, supposedly, that implied also that he was an incarnation of the sun, the sun God, right? The sun god Ra is getting into all the Egyptology crap. It says in the Hindu Hindu mythology, which is admitted to be especially Babylonian, this comes out very distinctly. There, Sarah, or the sun, is representing as being incarnated and born for the purpose of subduing the enemies of the gods who without such a birth could not have been subdued. Okay. That ain't the part I wanted. Let me see. Hold on. Just bear with me, y'all. Here we go. It says, because uh, all of this is talking about Christmas. This is a lot to read. I ain't going to read all of this. But once again, y'all, this book is titled The Two Babylons, The Papal Worship, Proven to Be the Worship of Nimrod and His Wife. So this is talking about uh, Yule Law. It says, now the Yule Law is the dead stock of Nimrod, defiled as the sun god. Y'all hear this? So Nimrod is the sun god. But cut down by his enemies The Christmas tree is Nimrod The slain God came to life again In the light reflected by the above statement On the customs that still linger among us The origin of which has been lost In the midst of horror antiquity Let the reader look at the the singular practice, uh, practice still kept up in the south 
on Christmas Eve of kissing under the mistletoe or the mistle, yeah, the mistletoe bowl. So all of this is still going on, but I wanted to bring out how Nimrod is actually the Christmas tree, y'all. And this is why the Most High told us this in Jeremiah chapter 10. So let's jump up and get it. So the Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 1. Hear ye the word which the Lord spake unto you, O house of Israel. Thus said the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. The heathen meaning the Gentiles or the other nations who know not the God of the Bible. It says, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at, at, dismayed at them. What are they dismayed at? At the zodiac, the um, uh, astronomy, the sun, the moon, the stars. They worship the whole host of heaven. Remember, this is what the Most High was angry at us for doing. But he told us not to do this. Verse 3, it says, for the custom of the people of vain. For one cut of the tree out of the forest, the work of the hand of the workman with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. What is this but the celebration of Nimrod, which we just found out in the two battle lines, that he's the Christmas tree. And when you decking it, you, you, it's like you dressing him up. And what do you do with this tree once you got it up? You bring gifts and presents to it. This is pagan, man. This is wickedness. The Most High told us not to do this. Verse 5, it says, They were upright as the palm tree. Cause so those trees sit straight up, right? When you had that Christmas tree in your house. And verse 4 talk about how they would hammer it to the floor because before they had the Christmas tree stands or the artificial trees back in the day, for us old enough to remember, you would have to nail those damn things to the floor so they would stick straight up. It says, verse 5, they are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be bored. The word bored means move. They have to be moved. Why? Because they cannot go. So they can't get up and walk. It's a tree. But you had these people in ancient Babylon and people all around the world thinking that these trees were actually gods because they knew that this was symbolic of Nimrod's reincarnation as a tree. It says, be not afraid of them, for they, they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. He says, like, man, it's just a damn tree. That's it. So anyway, y'all, back to my point. I had to go floor that because of the season we just came out of. Uh, we're not fully out of it because they got uh, the celebration of Janice coming up, uh, what, next Saturday? And Janice is the goddess that January is named after, which means new beginning or the end of something. And that's why they say that January is the end of the year when January wasn't even a part of their original uh, Gregorian calendar that they had. It originally only had 10 months, but they added January. They added January and they added February, I believe. But it only had 10 months originally. So anyway, going back to proving, 
And all of this information I'm bringing out is still dealing with the first uh, Babylon. I jumped ahead of myself because I jumped into um, Neo or the new Babylon. And that's what we've been going over in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, Jeremiah chapter 27, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to stay with the uh, second Babylon or Neo-Babylon in Jeremiah chapter 27. And we're going to pick up in verse 11. So Jeremiah chapter 27 and verse 11, y'all. And it reads, but the, but the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, those will I let remain still in their own land, said the Lord. And they shall still, and I'm sorry, yeah, they shall till it and dwell therein. So the Most High is letting Jeremiah Tell, tell these nations, tell the world basically that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, was coming into power, and if you submitted to him, then you will be able to remain in your land. You can stay where you were at, uh, have your crops, you can live, but you would, you would have to pay tribute. But my point in bringing this out, y'all, because we're going to see the differences between the Babylon that we're talking about in Jeremiah chapter 27 and uh, the prophetic Babylon, uh, which is American. I'm going to prove that. But still dealing with um, Neo-Babylon with verse 11. So let's read on to verse 12. I mean, well, we're going to read to verse 17, actually. But verse 12, we're picking up there. It says, I spake also to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon, and serve him and his, and his people, and live. Why will ye die, thou and thy people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Therefore hearken not unto the words of the prophets, that speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. For I have not sent them, said the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I might drive you out, and that ye might perish, ye and the prophets that prophesied unto you. Also I spake to the priests and to all this people, saying, Thus said the Lord, hearken not to the words of your prophets, that prophesied unto you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house shall not shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon, for they prophesied a lie unto you. Hearken not unto them, serve the king of Babylon, and live. Wherefore should this city be laid waste? So, from there, let's get Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to start at verse 4. And the reason I'm reading all this, y'all, is to show the difference between the Babylon. So this is a totally different Babylon. You even got a, a totally different king. This king being Nebuchadnezzar, the most high prophesying through Jeremiah what was going to happen to the nation and to us. But now in uh, chapter 29, he gets more specific about um, what would happen to us 
And I'm going to couple this with an article I've got here uh, online. Let me find it. Okay, that's too far. Here we go, right here. So let me read this first out of the Bible, and then I'm going to link it up with the uh, encyclopedia online. So Jeremiah chapter 29, and we start at verse 4, and it reads, Thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses and dwell in them. So this is the Most High speaking specifically to the Israelites that was carried away captive into Babylon, Babylonia or Babylon. He said, man, build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens. And eat the fruit of them Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters And take wives for your sons And give your daughters to husbands That they may bear sons and daughters That ye may be increased there and not diminished And seek the peace of the city Whether I have caused you to be carried away captives And pray unto the Lord for it For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace for thus said the Lord God, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye uh, cause to be dreamed. For thy pro- for thy prophets falsely, for for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, said the Lord. So the Most High is letting us know, hey, man, y'all going to be in captivity. So y'all need to settle in and live y'all life until the captivity is over. Verse 10, for thus said the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, y'all, we are listening, I will visit you and perform my good, good work towards you in causing you to return to this place. So the Most High had prophesied to the Israelites that they were going to return to their homeland after 70 years in Babylon. Now, like I said, I'm going to couple of that with uh, Wikipedia. And this says Neo Assyrian and Neo Babylonian period. It says, according to the Bible, Jerusalem became a vessel of the Neo Assyrian Empire. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, that's it. Uh, wait a minute, let me jump down. Here we go, right here. This is what I wanted. It says, Second Babylonian siege, Nebuchadnezzar II, fought Pharaoh, Aprides attempted to invade Judah, Jerusalem, mostly destroyed, including the first temple. And the cities, uh, prominent citizens exiled to Babylon. So that's the part I wanted to get, y'all. I hope y'all was listening. Let me read it again. So this happened around 587, 586 BC. It's the 2nd Babylonian siege. Nebuchadnezzar II fought Pharaoh. Aprides attempted to invade Judah. Jerusalem mostly destroyed, including the first temple. 
So the first temple that Solomon built. It says, and the city's prominent citizens exiled to Babylon. So this is where we were exiled to. We was exiled to Babylon, like we just read in Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, verse 10, that we were going to be there for 70 years. It says, to 70 years be accomplished. Now watch this. Let's go to Ezra chapter 1. Remember, the Most High said he was going to be there 70 years in Babylon. It says, and then he said, then we were going to return. Matter of fact, I'm going to hold it. I'm going to read it again to refresh our memories while I get uh, Ezra chapter 1. So this is Ezra in the Bible, chapter 1, and where I'm starting at, verse, start at verse 1. It says, now in the first year of, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So what word was he talking about he was going to fulfill? So whole Ezra, let's jump back to Jeremiah, chapter 29, and verse 10. I'm going to read it again. For thus said the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good, good word towards you, good word towards you, in causing you to return to this place. Now, when did that take place? We read in the book of Ezra. I'm going to read it again. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So this is the coming in of the Persian Median Empire, y'all. So they came into power right after the uh, Babylonians, and they came into power around 539 B.C. So this is the prophecy coming to fruition right here. I'm going to read on. It says that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. This is Cyrus, so-called Cyrus the Great, right? Now, this is the proclamation that he put into writing. It says, thus said Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord power or the Lord God of heaven had given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he had charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, this is when Cyrus started sending all the Israelites back to our homeland that was destroyed by the Babylonians. He started sending us back to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. Now, this happened, like I said, around 539 B.C. Now, let's jump a little forward in the book of Ezra to chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 1. So, Ezra chapter 4, verse 1, and it reads, Now, when the uh, adversities of Judah and Benjamin, I'm sorry, read again. 
Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. So remember, Cyrus sent us back to build, rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. Okay, but when all our adversaries heard this, it says, verse 2, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, let us deal with you. For we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of es of Eshadon, king of Ashur, which brought us up hither. So here are the other nations. That's who the adversaries is. They're trying to persuade us that they want to help us build, rebuild the temple which they helped destroy. So they're running game on us right now. I'm going to read on. Verse 3. But Zerubbabel and Jeshu and the rest of the chief, the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God, God of Israel as King Cyrus the king of Persia had commanded us. So here he is saying, hey, Cyrus sent us back. We got the okay to do this. Because remember, uh, this was during the Persian Mede rulership. They they owned and ruled the whole known living world at this particular time. Now let's jump down to verse 21, y'all. Hello, what verse was I in? Now let's keep reading. Then the people of the land uh Weaken the hands of the people of Judah and trouble them in the building. See, they really didn't want to help us build. They gave us hell the whole time we was there. Verse 5, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the, the reign of Darius, king of Persia. I'm glad I kept reading. So, all, they were troubling us and giving us a hard time rebuilding the temple all the way to the damn days of Darius. To Darius had came into being king. Hope everybody sees this. Verse 6. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Ahasuerus was another king that the Persian and the empire had. So they wrote him a letter. It says, in the days of, of, of Xerxes, wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabili, and the rest of their companions unto Xerxes, king of Persia, and the writing of the letters was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. So let's jump down to verse 21 now. And it says, uh, Let's go to verse 20. There have been mighty kings also of Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll, tribute, and custom was paid unto them. Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, meaning to stop building. That's what they wanted. So they sent a letter to King Xerxes telling him, hey, man, have these men stop building because they've been troublemakers. It says have them to cease building until another commandment shall be uh, shall be given from me. 
So this is what Xerxes ended up doing. He commanded them to cease building the temple, stop rebuilding Jerusalem. Now watch this. We're gonna jump a look. We're gonna jump forward a little bit in Nehemiah chapter two. So Nehemiah chapter two, and we're gonna start at verse one. It says, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Xerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before sad in the presence of the king. Now this is Nehemiah, who also was living during the time of Ezra, uh, and he used to be the king's cupbearer. Verse 2, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. So he's in the presence of the king looking sad, and the king's like, man, you got a broken heart. You just, this is sorrow going on with you. Verse 3, And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lie waste, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. So he was talking about Jerusalem. Then the king said unto me, For what doest thou make request? So I prayed to the power of heaven, or the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchre, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, The queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when, when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time and set him a time. So this is Xerxes. Well, remember, he had just told them to stop the building, right? Back in uh, Ezra, the nice sending Nehemiah back to finish the building of the temple, y'all. Now the reason I jumped and did all that was to show. Matter of fact, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 14 to show the differences in the Babylons that's being talked about in the Bible. All of them are not the same. There are three Babylons, y'all. Once again, the first Babylon being ancient Babylon, the second Babylon being the Neo-Babylon. The first one was under Nimrod. The Neo-Babylonian Empire was under uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But there's a, tar- a third Babylon, which we're going to get into. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 14, and we were in verse 4. Let's read it again. It says, that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how have the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. All right? Like I said, this is not talking about the same Babylon as the ancient one or the Neo-Babylon. So let's get Revelations chapter 17 now. I hope everybody's still with me. I hope I ain't lose nobody. I know I'm jumping around quite a bit. So let's go to Revelations chapter 17 and 
Let's start at verse 1, y'all. How much time I got? Yeah, I got time. So let's go to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 1. We're going to be jumping. I'm not breaking down this whole chapter. I just want to pull out some key points. Let me catch up. All right, so... Revelation 17 and 1. And there came out of the seven angels which had the seven vows and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will shew unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So this great whore uh, is talking about America is talking of, also talking about uh, Vatican City, Rome, because that's the spiritual capital of America, man. That's why when a president comes into office, he always traditionally visits where? The Vatican to see who? The Pope, man, because the Pope is every president's spiritual advisor. That's why the Catholic religion is known as the universal religion, because that's the main religion. If you're not a Catholic, then if you're not a Catholic or a Muslim, then you're a Protestant. A Protestant is the religion of the people that protested the Catholic Church. And these would be your uh, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, your Church of Christ people, uh, Jehovah's Witness, Lutheran, Calvinists, and all those people. They're Protestants. But back to the scripture. Let me read it again in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, and there came uh, one of the seven angels, which had the seven vows, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will shew unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. All right, once again, this whore is talking about America, talking about uh, the Vatican City, which is uh, America's spiritual capital. But reading it all in verse 2. It says, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And all the nations have been influenced by America. Is what it's talking about uh, when it says, uh, drink of the wine of her fornication. If you're drinking, you're under the influence like they give you uh, what they call it, a DUI, driving under the influence. So that's what it's talking about. Uh, but let me get to my point. Verse 3, it says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. Now, the the word scarlet means red. So he said he's seen a woman sitting on a red beast. All right, it says, uh, sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, let's get this right here. Boom. Man, I got so much stuff open. Let me see. That ain't it. 
Hold on, y'all. I'm trying to find this article. I guess I'm gonna have to just retype it. So when it talks about this uh woman that's sitting on the Scarlet Beach, y'all, there's a statue in Brussels, y'all. And I think it's at the UN in Brussels. Let me let me find it real quick. Cause I don't want to I don't want to misquote it or say anything that ain't accurate. Uh. Oh, you know what? It might be in my favorites. Let me see. Boom. Yeah, here it is right here. Okay, y'all. Uh, now, this is uh, what website is this? This is the newsfederalist.eu. So, the title reads Europa and the Bull The Significance of the Myth of Modern Europe. All right? Now, th- y'all can go on. I hope y'all go on because I want y'all to see this for yourself, man. But there's an actual statue of a woman riding on a damn bull, man. And once again, we're linking this with Revelations chapter 17, verse 3. I'm going to read it again. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. So this woman sitting on top of a red bull or a red beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, back to this article. It reads, Europa and the Bull, the significance of the myth in modern Europe. Have you seen a statue of a female figure riding a bull somewhere near a European institution? Or did it look more like a woman was being violently kidnapped? Maybe it attracted your attention when uh, paying with with a, a Greek two euro coin, or you noticed it on a drawing while blowing through Jeff Europe's web portal. Have you been uh, staring at the large Masonic in the European uh, Parliament's Paul Henry Spake building, or have you? Seen it tattooed on the back of one of Jeff France's most prominent members. Now you think of it, you've seen this same legend prompted all throughout the EU, meaning the European Union, on stamps, posters, and in artwork. And you couldn't help but wonder, what is this all about? So this is what is. This is exactly what it's talking about here in uh, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 3. Now I want to jump down. It says Europa and Zeus, not a Shakespearean love story. The myth of Europa, and coincidentally, y'all, this is who Europe was named after, all right? The myth of Europa was inspired by writers, historians, painters, and European politicians throughout the centuries. They They have her name. I'm sorry, they gave her name to a continent. (laughs) You see that? 
They gave her name to a continent and created several pieces of art depicting the lovemaking of Zeus and Europe or this Europa. It says, but let us first recall the most common version of this ancient legend. According to Greek mythology, the Phoenician maiden named Europa was one of the, the many objects of affection of Olympian chief god Zeus. Y'all see that? Hold on. Uh, give me just a second, y'all. All right, so let's jump back uh, to, what was we at? This uh, Revelations chapter 17 and verse 3. It says, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and, and I saw a woman sit upon, sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So once again, uh, this woman is symbolic of America, is symbolic of the Vatican, and I just pulled that article up. It shows, shows us who this woman is in uh, Greek mythology, y'all. Uh, and when it talks about uh, the seven heads, it's talking about the leading empires of the so-called white man, the Edomite nation, which is which is the Greeks, the Romans, the Spanish, the French, the Germans, the Russians, and the British. Those are the two uh, leading nations, man. All of them part of the UE. So let me get to my point. Verse 4. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Verse 5. This is what, what I wanted to get to. It says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. All right. Now, this is not talking about uh, ancient Babylon. It ain't talking about neo-Babylon. It is, in fact, talking about America, also known as Mystery Babylon. Now, Let's get a uh, hold this. We don't come back to this. But now let's go to Psalms. Let's get Psalms chapter 137, y'all. Get Psalms chapter 137, and we're going to start at verse 7. Because we got to piece some stuff together to prove that it's not talking about ancient Babylon or Neo-Babylon is talking about America, which is the is the prophetic Babylon that's being prophesied about in Revelation and countless other uh, chapters or books here in the Bible. We're going to get one out of Psalms. So this is Psalm, Psalms chapter 137, verse 7, and it reads, O daughter of Babylon. Y'all see that? Old daughter, meaning it's an offspring of Babylon, and that's what America is. Because, like the book I read earlier about the two Babylons, 
and about the celebration of Christmas, which is Nimrod. Where are they doing that at? Here, but here in the good old U.S. of A., man, and all around the globe. But who's leading the charge? America. America is the, the, the dominant superpower of the day. And like the scripture tells you in Ecclesiastes, it says that the head is so all the rulers are, right? Matter of fact, let me get it real quick. Whole Psalms, and we're going to jump over to Ecclesiastes, I believe, chapter 3. Ecclesiastes, no, Ecclesiastes, wait a minute, let me find it. I thought it was maybe it's wisdom of Solomon. Let's see. Let me find it real quick, y'all. Do 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 do. Bear with me. I'm looking for a scripture. Y'all know it. Please text it to me. Here it is. It's in uh, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And start verse 1. It says, A wise judge will instruct his people, and the government of a prudent man is well ordained. As the judge of the people is himself, so are his officers. And what manner of man the ruler of the city is, so are all they that dwell therein, man. You see that? So a judge is a ruler or a king, and it's letting you know however he rolls, everybody else is going to roll like that. And we know that America is the, lead, elite, the leading nation, so whatever they're doing in America, they're going to be doing around the rest of the world, man, because they're in charge. So let's go from there to Psalms 137. And what verse did I want? Uh, verse 7. Wait a minute. Mm. Yeah, verse 7. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundations thereof. Now listen to verse 8, y'all. O daughter of Babylon, who ought to be destroyed? Happy shall he be. Now listen, it says who ought to be destroyed, meaning this ain't happened yet. This is being prophesied. And remember, Babylon was not destroyed. And I'm talking about Neo-Babylon was not destroyed. It was conquered. It was conquered by uh, Cyrus and the Persian Mede Empire, but it wasn't destroyed. 
But this Babylon, and is even called daughter of Babylon, the offspring of Babylon, is going to be destroyed. It says, happy shall he be that rewarded thee as thou hast served us, meaning this has not happened yet. Happy shall he be that take it and dash it thy little ones against the stones. Now, this Babylon, like I said, is in fact talking about America. Now, from there, let's get Isaiah chapter 47. And we're going to read verse 1. Bear with me, y'all. I'm getting to it. Isaiah chapter 47 and verse 1. And it reads, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit in the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Now, listen to the, the terminology being used. When it says, old virgin daughter of Babylon, a virgin we know is what? A, a woman of marriageable age or a woman that has never laid with a man before, meaning she's what? Undefiled. She hasn't been touched, right? But it says that the virgin daughter of Babylon, the offspring of, Babylon, of the Babylonian empires, whether it be Neo-Babylon or the uh, the ancient Babylon, because we'll remember what was going on was a lot of uh, pagan worship. No different than here in America, you got a lot of what? Pagan worship. But it calls America the virgin daughter of Babylon because there's never been a war fought on America's fall. And I'm talking about a foreign war. America had its civil war, had its war of independence, but they were just them fighting each other. The the the, uh, the the Caucasian British fighting the Caucasian Americans fighting each other for independence. Then they had the Civil War, which was once again them fighting each other. But you never had a foreign entity come to the the soil of America and have a war on American soil. That has never happened. That's why he calls it the uh, daughter virgin of uh, Babylon. And no major wars been fought over here, but they've raised war globally on a lot of damn nations. And this, that's what uh, the Iraqis, the Afghanis be saying, man. You know, you, you Americans don't know what it's like to, to have a war right outside your door, to, to have the, uh, to look out and dodge bullets just going to the grocery store. Amer- that's foreign to America. Americans. Americans have never experienced anything like that. So I'm going to read verse 1 again. It says, uh, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. And where I want to read to uh man, hold on for a second. Hold that, and let's get um yeah, let's get this. Let's get Ezekiel thirty five and verse
Ezekiel 35 verse 15 And it reads As thou didst rejoice At the inheritance Of the house of Israel Because it was desolate So will I do unto thee Thou shalt be Desolate O Mount Seir And all Idumea Even all of it And they shall know that I am the Lord So what the Most High is talking about Remember in Psalms we read y'all And I kind of I got my notes jumbled up I'm sorry y'all Remember in Psalms We read how Matter of fact scratch Isaiah uh, 47 and 1 We will come back to that But you remember in Psalms Where it talked about uh, How Esau Matter of fact let me get it And I mean, it says Edom. Here it is. Uh, Psalms 137, verse 7. It says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundations thereof. Right? This is what it's talking about here in Ezekiel. He says, I'm going to read it again. Thus said, I'm going to start Ezekiel 35, verse 14. Thus said the Lord God, when the whole earth rejoices, I will make thee desolate. As thou didst rejoice at the inheritance of the house of Israel Because it was desolate So will I do unto thee Thou shalt be desolate, O Mount Seir And all Idumea, even all of it And they shall know that I am the Lord So he like talks about what does Idumea have to do with uh, Edom In Psalms 137 I'm going to show you so let's go to the Zonavan. Let's find out who uh, Idumia is. So we're going to the Zonavan, page 239, y'all. And this is the definition of e, uh, Idumia, like it said in Ezekiel 35, 15, right? So Idumia, listen to this. It says, pertaining... To Edom So you see that Psalms 137 talks about Edom So it's talking about Idumia It's talking about Edom It says Greek and Roman Listen to this Greek and Roman name for Edom I hope y'all everybody's listening Greek, Greek and Roman name for Edom So Idumia is a Greek and Roman name for Edom Now I want to pull out this book right here y'all Trip off of this now, I pulled this out before, but I'm going to use it again in case you forgot, just to prove my point. Now, the book is titled The Roman Empire, The Empire of the Edomites. The Empire of the Edomites. Now, let's go to page four of this book. Matter of fact, let me see if I want to get four first or another page. No, this is it. So, uh, and this book was published uh, back in 1858. So this ain't something new or something I'm making up. And once again, the book is titled The Roman Empire, The Empire of the Edomites by William Beeston. We're on page four. Listen to this. Matter of fact, let me jump up. Let me read a little bit more of this. Uh, so... Let me read a little bit of this, man. 
Now I want to get to the point. It says, whence came the Romans? May have been returned and even registered in writing before the birth of Christ, that the response proceeded neither from Greek nor Roman, but from the despised Jew. So they asked the question, where did the Romans come from? And they said that the answer didn't come from the Greeks, didn't come from the Romans. It says, but the answer to this question came from the despised Jew. It says that it has been preserved to us in the Jewish Targums that it exists, um, that it exodus emits the fable and empathies, the absurdities and the blasphemies of the Jewish Talmud, and that it may be comprehended in these 20 words. The Romans came from Esau, who is Edom, and Italy is the Idumea, Rome, the Basra of the Hebrew prophets. So y'all see this? It's like he's this author is letting us know that the Romans were actually the Edomites, and that Italy is the Idumea of the uh, of the Bible, and Rome is the Basra of the Bible, man. Now we just read that. Matter of fact, let me go back to the Zonovan so we can match all of it up. Two thirty nine, Idumia. It says pertaining to Edom. Greek and Roman name for Edom. Hope everybody's seeing that, man. This book just said the exact same thing that the Romans or the Edomites. They they the one and the same. Now let me jump to page twenty seven of the same book. Now watch this. It says, the Romans were perhaps the very people of whom it might most justly be be predicated that they got the living by the sword war, said the elder Cato in his business of the Roman people. It says they got the living by the sword, right? Now, let's go to Genesis. Chapter 37. Let's see who else got their living by the sword. Let's see who was blessed with the sword. I'm sorry, Genesis 27, y'all. So Genesis chapter 27. And now the, let me paint the scene for y'all. Go back and read this in your own time. But this is when. Isaac was old and he was about to give his sons their blessing. Now, Jacob had dressed up like Esau, came in, pretended to be Esau, and he had got Esau's blessing because Esau was the oldest, which meant he got a bigger blessing or a bigger portion. So Esau comes in and now he wants his blessing. And remember, Esau sold his birthright, including his blessing, to Jacob. He sold it straight up, fair and square. 
But now this is Esau coming in trying to get a blessing from his father. So I'm going to pick up here, uh, verse 38. And Esau said unto his father, Has thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shall thy live. You see this? So Esau's blessing was what? He says, by thy sword shall thy live, and shall serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. So what was Esau blessed with, y'all? He was blessed with the sword, man, his weaponry. And I already read in the same book, matter of fact, I'll read it again, the Romans were perhaps the very people of whom it might most justly be predicated that they got their living by the sword. And what was the Romans known for? Why, why were people so fearful and afraid of the Romans? It was because of the Roman legion, the Roman army, man. And why are people so afraid, deathly afraid of America now? Because the American military. This is why the Americans... They spend buku money on their defense budget every year. Matter of fact, they de- their defense budget increases every year. Why? For their military, because they understand that's their power. That's their power. They they get that. But that that traces all the way back to biblical times. Now I got this other book. Let me pull this out. Big shouts out to you, Brother Sapar, man, for letting me hold on to some of these books, man. Brother has a fascinating library. House of Books, the brother got the right name. So this book is titled The Roman Empire or Roman Empire. This is by Nigel Rogers. Let me see if it's got a publishing date. Uh, I don't see the publishing date. Let's go to page 257. Now, watch this, y'all. Listen to this. Page 257. So, you're going to see I ain't making this up. There's factual truth to all of this. Bear with me. I know you. Here we go. So this is page 257. Now listen to this. It says, In the 18th century, many liberal Europeans saw in the balanced British political system some of the virtues of Roman, I'm sorry, some of the virtues of the Republic of Rome, which later inspired moderates and extremists in the French Revolution. So they're saying that they see element traces of uh, the Republic of Rome in Europe. It says, and including in the French Revolution. Now watch this. It says, however, the greatest, most obvious heir to Roman ideas is found in the United States, whose universalism and functions of peoples Echoes that of Rome 
That is not a coincidence, y'all. See, all the same people, all the same nation, they know this. Let me read this again. Once again, the book is entitled Roman Empire. In the 18th century, many liberal Europeans saw in the balanced British political system some of the virtues of Republican Rome, which later inspired moderates and extremists in the French Revolution. However, the greatest, most obvious heir to Rome ideas is found in the United States, whose universalism and functions of peoples echoes that of Rome. And this is why here in America, you have a Congress, you have a Senate, you have that democracy. You have what? That Capitol Hill like they had in Rome. You have it here in the States, man. It's the same people. It's the Edomite nation. Now I got another source. Come on, man. This is like what? One, two, three. Three different sources include well, not including the Bible, which make it four. This is a third source, and this book is titled The Edomites, Their History as Gathered from the Holy Scriptures by Mary L. T. Witter. This book was published in 1888. We're going to go to two different pages. Let's get page 89 first. All right, page 89. The first Edomite of whom we read in the New Testament is Herod, Herod, falsely surnamed the Great. He was the second son of Antipater, a clever Idumean noble. Who are the Idumeans, y'all? <laughs> the Edomites. It says, who was alike noted for his base... Uh, Psychophiliance towards Rome. So this is talking about Herod, who coincidentally built Masada, y'all, because they say this dude was so paranoid. They say he was a paranoid schizophrenic that he built Masada, which only had one way in, one way out, and it was very high. He built that in case his enemies turned on him, and his closest uh, confidants turned on him. He was ha- he would have to hide. He would hide there in Masada. And we we uh, eventually went on to use Masada as our last stand in Israel before it was destroyed in 70 AD, took him down. Um, so let's talk about Herod, who uh, was in fact an Edomite. Now let's jump over in the same book. To, and it says that Herod, y'all heard this, it says the first Edomite of whom we read in the New Testament is Herod. So it's talking about him, his lineage. Now we're going to jump to page 59. So page 59, it reads, the Edomites, Seer's original inhabitants, became triagladites. Now, in case you don't know what a triagladite is, y'all. Now, in fact, let me get it. Got a little time left. 
Wow, they ain't even coming up. The word troglodyte means cave dweller, y'all. It literally means cave dweller. Y'all can look it up. It's T-R-O-G-L-O-D-I-T-E-S. <clears throat> so it says the Edomites, too, like, like Sears, original inhabitants, became troglodytes, cave dwellers. This is where you, you get the term um, cavemen from. And they got that term because that's their habitation. That's what they're comfortable in. And that's why they're called Caucasians because they originated from the Caucasus Mountains of South Georgia, Russia, man. That's why they call themselves Caucasians, which means what? Cave dwellers. Whether they uh, Irish, Caucasian, uh, British, Caucasian, Spanish, Caucasian, uh, French, Caucasian, Russian, Caucasian, all of them, they know where they come from, man. They're definitely those people. But it says the Edomites, too, like Sears' original inhabitants, became troglodytes and even excavated rather than build where they live in southern Palestine. So it's letting you know, man, instead of them just going out and uh, building up their town, they stayed in caves and they just excavated the cave. They dug deeper in the cave, made the cave into a home, like the cavemen. So these people are one and the same. Um, and like I'm getting at, the Roman Empire eventually spawned into what we know as America this day and age, man. This is why you have so many similarities uh, of Rome and the Amer- the Americas or America. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 36 and verse 9. So Genesis chapter 36, verse 9, and it reads, And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. So this is uh, one of Isaac's twin sons whose name was Esau, but he became a nation. He was the father or the progenitor of the Edomites. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 25 and let's get this, man. So Genesis chapter 25, what I got? Like three minutes, six minutes, I think. Genesis 25 and starting at verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca to wife, took Rebecca to wife. The daughter of, of Bethuel, of Bethuel the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, so she got two children in her womb, meaning they're twins. She says, uh, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, meaning two different people, two different manner of people, two different nations are coming, is going to come out of this lady's bowels. Man, I told you, everybody's in the Bible, man, everybody, every nation, every race is in the Bible. And we're going to read about the, uh, the birth of the so-called white nation 
And I say so-called because they're not white. They're really a shade of red. It says, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be for, to, to, to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. So this baby came out red. Why does he even mention this baby's color? Because in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says man was made from the dust of the ground. The ground is many different shades of brown, and that's the color that ordinary, normal people was. But the reason they mentioned this baby being red, because this baby was not ordinary. It's not normal. This baby had a birth defect. This baby was the color of red. And the only people on the face of the globe who are shade of red is who we loosely refer to as the so-called white man. When they smile, they're happy, they're red. When they're angry, sad, they're red. When they get hot, they're red. When they're cold, they're red. They call themselves red-blooded Americans, right? They know who they are. It says, and they call his name Esau. And after that came out his brother, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was three score years old when she bare them. Now, Jacob is talking about us, so-called blacks, Native Americans, and Hispanics. It talked about us, but we found out that we've been at war with the so-called white man since the womb. This is nothing new. They've, had, they've always had a hatred for us. It says, verse 27, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter. Here's another clue. He was not just a regular hunter. We know that the so-called white man hunts. Different nations hunt, right? Different nations hunt. We already know this. But who's the, the guy that comes up with the mating calls? With the pheromones, with the deer calling things, he does this. We know who he is. Now, I know we've been over this a hundred times, y'all, but there's a point I want to get to. That's why I'm bringing all this information out. So another clue points to him. It says, and I love Esau because he did eat of venison. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, what time is it? I think I'm going to stop right there, man. I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to pick this back up next Tuesday. And I promise you, I'm not going to switch topics. I just had to get this topic because this is the most pressing topic because I'm really going to go into what I wanted to talk about next Tuesday and why the class is titled, uh, what is titled, Babylon the Great. I would be like the most high because this new Babylon or this prophetic Babylon, uh, meaning America, the last Babylon, is really trying to be like the most high. And I've done a bunch of research, man, I want to get into it, and I want to prove how they try to be like the most high and how it's becoming detrimental to us Israelites here in the last days, man. And we have to take our health and our spirit more seriously than we do and, uh, be more dedicated to the most high because the only way we get out of here is through his salvation by Hamashiach Yahushai. So that's it, y'all, for uh, this morning. I didn't get to get to all the points I wanted to get to, but I think this is a good stopping point. I'll see y'all, uh, Lord willing, next Tuesday. 
for uh, Tazapaz Tuesdays. Thanks for tuning in. And with that, I'm going to say shalom.